Okay, let's work. Minovona. Uh, welcome. Minovona work. Oh, God. Now we are off to non-Slavic uh, language uh, interpretations. Yes. Okay. And anyways, uh, welcome to the Dead IT Show. The show about IT that makes you... More, Slavic. More, more, <laughs> yes, uh, Slavic. Uh, that makes you intelligent. Okay. Uh, I look intelligent and so... <laughs> so no pencil positive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Today, uh, today we decided that the first thing that we need to talk about and we must talk about, because we are both Linux guys, is uh, whatever is right now happening with Red Hat. Uh, I have no, um, I have no words that can describe what is right now happening in the Red Hat world, mm. in the Red Hat Enterprise Linux world, uh, in the open source world connected to the Red Hat and the whole ecosystem. Although both of us are uh, trainers and both of us work with Red Hat professionally, we completely fail to understand what is happening. So uh, join us after this short intro and we'll see what we can come up with. Uh, what is the Red Hat's idea of the future of the uh, Linux? Roll the intro. Okie dokie. Okay. Can I say something first? Yes. I deliberately didn't want to do this episode while all of that was happening in real time in front of our eyes. Uh, because uh, I noticed that a lot of uh, people had the emotions of running high situation. And I failed to, uh, failed to understand how that can help in any shape or form. I want to have a little bit of a, let's say, uh, distance from that so that I can gather my thoughts and say a couple of things that need to be said. And I'm guessing that you want to do the same. Yes. Uh, and my main thing that I wanted and the reason why I wanted to uh, wait on this is to see what is going to happen. Because when all of this started happening, when the Red Hat gave its uh, announcement on what it plans to do with uh, Linux, uh, things have started happening so fast that I wanted the, for things to come down so I can see whatever uh, people want to say, what people think, what is going to happen, because there are a lot of people involved and, uh, involved and a lot of money is involved. Yes. So um, there is a lot of things that needed to uh, settle down before we can even come up to any kind of conclusion. What is, what, what is the future of the Linux? Okay. I wanted to start with two things. Okay. Let me just interrupt you. Let's start with Oracle Linux. No, we don't. <laughs> yes, this is... This no, we're going to come to that. But let me let me just say a couple of things first. Uh, I wanted to start with a question. Uh, yes. So that we kind of give a little bit of context to our lives with Red Hat in focus. And we don't have to do it for a long time. So when did you first start uh, using Red Hat? And when did you start using it, uh, let's say, much more than what you, what you used to? I was late to the Red Hat, uh, Red, the Red Hat uh, party. I think the first install that I did on CentOS was something like CentOS 4. Okay. But I must say one m m pretty important thing. When I'm thinking about when I started with Red Hat, I'm thinking about when I installed CentOS. 
And this is one of those things that defined uh, that what we want to talk about. Because let's let's now set the stage. Let's start from the beginning. I need to answer the same question yes. before we do, because my history is the complete polar opposite to yours. I did start with Slackware in 1995, and a lot of people did. But my first real distribution that I kind of like hooked into was Red Hat with Free Zero Free Picasso, which was 1996 in my life at least. So uh, you came to the to the Red Hat party, as you said, late. I was very early. And also for context, I started doing Red Hat training in 2005 or six, and you started three years ago or so, two, yes. two three years yes. ago. Just just for contextual information, that's that's our background. Now we can set the stage. Now let's set the stage first. Let's talk about uh, Linux Linuxes or Linuses or whatever. Uh, what, it's whatever not the <laughs> Whatever the plural is. Uh, and let's talk about um, how uh, this entire ecosystem came to be. So let's go back to the kernel and let's go back to uh, the quick recap of what the difference between the kernel and the actual operating system is. Okay. So I'm going to go with the most uh, down-to-earth explanation. Linux consists of basically what we are calling the Linux today. It consists of two parts. When we are saying Linux, we are using the wrong uh, the wrong uh, uh, denomination. It should be called GNU Linux. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, say hi to the bearded guy. And uh, but when we talk about Linux, we are talking about Linux kernel that belongs or is maintained by and has a uh, and uh, copyright belongs to uh, Linus Torvalds. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about the distribution itself or distributions. Mm -hmm. that are just a set of fixed packages or fixed applications that are prepared by a team or teams or whatever the structure communities, is, yeah. communities, and that are distributed as a set of packages that enable you to create a working system. Yeah. So if you don't have the kernel, you cannot create a working system mm -hmm. because then there is nothing to uh, run the hardware, run the processes and so on. Put. But... If you have the kernel, you still don't have a system unless you have some sort of a community that is going to provide you with the packages. Otherwise, you would have to create your own distribution from uh, scratch. This can be done. People using Arch are usually, usually doing it. Mm -hmm. And it takes you. It would take you a couple of days, if you know what you're doing, to come to a system that is able to... Uh, pretty uh, has a, have a pretty pretty limited functionalities, but it's able to run. Mm. You know what uh, that that arch comment that you just made uh, reminds me of. It reminds me of old style Solaris, because that's way the way in, the, in which that worked as well. You kind of deployed the bare metal bare minimum system, then you compiled I don't know GCC from CC, and then you started compiling other utilities and whatnot. Yes, but it is reminiscent of what you do with us. Yes, but the number the number, the the reason why we uh, switched over to these packages and uh, this system that we're using today was mostly because the sheer number of packages and the sheer, the sheer the amount thousands. of the sheer amount of uh, compiling needed to get those packages up and running is something that you to be completely honest you cannot do at your own uh, workstation and you are wrong and it, it, I, it, I want to go to sidebar here did you ever try to do that yes but uh, i don't see a point me neither i didn't see a point when i did it because it uh, but I was consumed. Installing, I was installing Slackware, and uh, the, the only the only thing that you could be, do do back then is uh, 
if you were not satisfied with what is, what is first, you had to recompile the kernel because yes. the kernel itself didn't have the uh, mods, so the modules weren't available. So it was a monolithic kernel, and you had to compile everything in it. And the other thing was that uh, if you were unhappy with some package, you just had to start from scratch because there were no, there was no. Um, uh, there was no package uh, standard defined, mm -hmm. so uh, there was there was way, this was way, way before the RPMs, Debs, uh, Aliens, mm -hmm. and uh, the different thing, uh, things that you can do. You just got your uh, tar tarball and then you compiled the package. That was it. Um, uh, for me, I did it over one summer when we were still back in the old college days. Uh, I took the SRPMs and compiled them one by one. It was a the most tedious thing that I ever did in IT, so you're completely correct in that. Basically, the reason why we have package management nowadays, let's forget about the enterprise implications for that, just for pure users, because it's much more user-friendly. It's not that it's user-friendly. It could be made to be uh, done uh, on the user side, but there is no reason to. Yeah. Recompiled packages just exist because you want to save time. Yeah. You don't want to create User a system. Friendly. You want to have your system to be up and running in a couple of minutes, not in a couple of days. Correct. And this is one of those things. You just uh, need to trade uh, time for uh, usability. And you uh, create your packages in such a way that the packages themselves are pre-packaged uh, pre or pre-compiled. Uh, uh, pre and then you can use those packages in, in such a way that they, they make sense to you. Yeah. But that's good. Now, let's talk about the splits. Let's talk about what happened then. Since we started from the sources, mm -hmm. uh, one, of the, one of the major distributions was Slackware mm -hmm. back then. But Slackware was, I think, too hardcore for, uh, for pretty much anyone. Uh, it, it was too complicated for a normal person to use. Especially if you were coming or, from the Windows world. And especially if you wanted to deploy something quickly. Yes. You had to do a lot of fidgeting around and a lot of compiling before you had a working system. Then Debian came along. Yeah, which Deb was much worse. Debian was much worse, but it got the community running. Yes. And the, communi the community was what uh, saved Debian. Yeah. Because I think that Debian was uh, one of those um, one of those distributions that didn't make sense in the start mm. uh, because they were too they were trying to become a technical distribution. They were trying to be a bare-bone distribution that would provide you with uh, with the enough tools to do what Slackware couldn't, and then to say, okay, you are on your merry way now. Compile yourself uh, whatever you need to compile, and then people started creating packages. My main reason why I started using Red Hat is actually those two opposites of Slackware and Debian, because I went through both phases. And uh, there there came Red Hat with the uh, UI-based, basically TUI, TUI installation, text user uh, interface-based installation, which was much more user-friendly than what Debian was. Yes, and the select, uh, the select was yes. just a nightmare. Good tool, works well, but still very user-unfriendly. And I started basically on a hunch to use Red Hat more and more, which led me 20-something years later to where I am today. And just one, just one side, uh, side note. Uh, I, would, uh, I started uh, WinGetGui uh, a couple of days ago. Lord. And then uh, it got me uh, in a time capsule back to the Debian days when you, when you could... Uh, when you basically got all the packages listed uh, alphabetically, 
without any regard what the package does or whatever, and then you just uh, had, a, had a tool that is enabled to select any package that, uh, that you wanted and then install it. But can I say something positive on that, on that note? Yes. Basically, 30, almost 30 years later, Microsoft, in a sense, finally admits that they need a package system. Yes, they need a package system. This is one thing. They enabled uh, users to create something that can auto-update mm -hmm. without using Windows updates because mm -hmm. this is one of those things that people take for granted and don't think about it because they are not used to it in Windows side. And also on Linux side, this is something completely normal, so nobody thinks about it. Yeah. And um, the thing that... Okay, let me explain what we're talking about. Uh, in Windows... Windows updates are going to uh, update the operating system itself and Microsoft products if you enable it. Mm -hmm. uh, for everything else, you need to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Linux is different because since ev everything is free, uh, free is in freedom, um, you can run a package manager. The package manager is going to take uh, note whatever you have installed on the system and then enable you to auto-update it to a particular version that is uh, current in the current distribution that you're using. Mm -hmm. And this can can widely differ between distributions, but you can update... General principle. In general principles is that you can, just using one command, update the entire system to the latest version of everything that is inside the system. Microsoft with Winget created such a system. So now it has a, th a third-party uh, repository. The packages are there. Uh, a lot of packages are there right now and uh, a lot of them are, them are coming every day. Mm -hmm. So you can suddenly uh, create your own uh, updater and you can create packs. Excellent. So, so you can create packs that you will enable you to uh, go and run, um, install for, I don't know, a development machine, a gaming machine. As long as they introduce a user-friendly way to integrate that with group policies, everything's going to be fine. I won't hold my breath. But then, then we are going I to... I knew it that you were going to... I had to throw you a bone. <laughs> I was trying to do something using GPOs a couple of days ago, and I was really unhappy. Uh, I was trying to create, uh, bulk create local users and local machines. That's super easy. It's super easy, but it still is not straightforward. It still requires you to use scripting, and mm -hmm. and there is, a, there is a way of doing it using uh, GPOs directly, but it's so complicated to use that it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. It should okay. be a simple task. But anyways, let's go back to the uh, to the distributions. So Debian was one. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, hallmark of the distribution was that it was, it was using the packages called Debian packages. Yes. And they were used dot .deb. Yeah. Uh, these are the same packages that uh, currently are used by uh, Ubuntu, Lubuntu and whatever the Ubuntu star, flavor you're using. Star Ubuntu. Star Ubuntu. Star? Star Ubuntu uh, <laughs> uh, flavor that you're using. Mm -hmm. And this has made Ubuntu a success with the success it is because the Ubuntu guys took the idea of a technical distribution to a more user-oriented level. So mm -hmm. they created another, another set of or another layer of packages that enabled them to uh, create a system that is, I wouldn't call it, call it user-friendly. A little bit more user-friendly. A little bit still. more user-friendly and uh, something that you can uh, maintain by yourself and not have too much uh, technical knowledge. 
Okay. We are not going to go into KDA, GNOME, uh, whatever wars. No, uh, we are waiting which, for somebody to do that for us. Yes, somebody is going to do this for us. So I'm just going to say I hate Emacs and uh, I'm, I'm the GNOME guy. So that's it. Uh, and the LaTeX guy. So and this is this is the vitriol done and then we can... Uh, we continue on our merry path. Yes. So this was one of those things. Then along came the Red Hat guys. And I'm going to, since you are the you are the old bearded guy with the in the Red Hat world, let uh, I'm going to let you uh, walk us through what was happening in the beginning, and how we got Susie, uh, Fedora, uh, Red Hat, uh, Centos, whatever, Rocky, Alma, Oracle, and whatever Linuxes are there. Okay, so Red Hat uh, began their life as basically what CentOS used to be as a free dis distro, just like the Debians of the world and uh, the Slackers of the world and whatnot. They went from Red Hat, which used to be called just Red Hat without the Enterprise Linux, through versions up to, I think, Red Hat version 9, and then they became Red Hat Enterprise Linux when they went commercial. I should kind of like pre uh, uh, put this commercial in brackets because Red Hat basically offered support as a commercial thing, not the OS itself, which is within the realms of what the idea of open source is. SUSE came a little bit later. I, uh, that was uh, in part uh, Novel's work, which is not to be underestimated as well, because Novel used to be quite a big a name in the network operating system world back in the days they of were Windows. They were, they were the de facto yeah. standard uh, in file sharing. Uh, Not only that, they had their directory service just like IBM as well, which yes, was... Yes, but in, in file sharing, in in file, when, yeah. when you wanted to do file sharing, you wouldn't be using Windows, you would be using... In those network, days, yes. yeah. And uh, that, that story kind of like rolled for years and years and years until the community started the, developing something that we know and love or loved as CentOS or Community Enterprise... Uh, operating system. I remember starting with version one. I started from from scratch. Um, it was roughly 2003 or four when CentOS, I think, free came out, something like that. And I got my first, let's say, side gigs after college. I opened a company and I started doing a little bit of system maintenance on the side. I got my first permanent side gig as a system uh, engineer for. Uh, one of my long. Uh, it used to be. A, it used to be a company. It's it folded in the mean in the meantime. But I ran CentOS two and three there for their file sharing, websites, FTP, more file sharing. You know, all crap load of stuff that was corporate infrastructure. It, it wasn't a, a large company in terms of the people employed, but it kind of got uh, uh, got me back into the. Red Hat world even much more than before, although I was, I was using it all the time. Reason being because this was the, the, the most simple way in which people were introduced to Red Hat. CentOS is that. It is like a stepping stone towards Red Hat. That's how we looked at it. And that story kind of continued for the next 15 or so years for me. Um, and while that was happening, on a side, we saw a lot of different structural changes in the IT industry. Along came the cloud and whatnot. Not going to get into that all that much. SUSE had a lot of ups and downs as a part of the history. At a certain point, they kind of like formed a partnership with Microsoft 
And that, that was a sad story of, uh, I don't know what happened there. And I don't want to even try to scratch my memory all, over that. But nowadays, even if you don't like Suse as a distro, uh, I'm not talking about open Suse. I'm talking about the commercial yes. version now. Even, you, even, even if you are like me and don't like the commercial distribution, they still had over the years accumulated a huge amount of very important and super uh, quality applications. Their high availability applications, some stuff related to clustering, their stuff related to load balancing, whatnot, they were really, really good applications. And I had uh, more than a few run-ins with those applications in production environments, which kind of also led to, uh, to me kind of appreciating them, even without the OpenSUSE, which I appreciated from the start. I think it was a good project from the start. Years rolled by, and you know, uh, they uh, uh, along came the year 2020. And this is actually, I think, the start of our story today, when Red Hat... I mean, a functional start uh, yes. of our story when Red Hat uh, uh, did what they did with CentOS. Let's let's stop there. Let's start stop and uh, go back a couple of years mm -hmm. and go to the it was early two thousands when Red Hat created Fedora project. Yeah, I forgot about uh, that. You, Sorry. Uh, yeah. So we need the Fedora project in this uh, entire picture. We need the Red Hat Enterprise Linux or uh, commercial I was Linux. running Fedora in production for years and years yes, until CentOS came Fedora was okay. Fedora was okay. And, and Scientific and Linux as well, which was a CERN yes, project. Yes, so, but we had Fedora. Fedora. Fedora was intended to be uh, much more user-oriented, uh, user -oriented, yeah. desktop-oriented, yeah. or laptop-oriented. And CentOS uh, was more server-oriented, let's and, say. And uh, it was intended to be uh, upstream for Red, for Red Hat, and this is the, only, the important part. Yes. Red Hat was intended to be a commercial, enterprise-grade, uh, supported. supported, stable distribution that is going to be rock-solid for enterprises, and mainly for servers. Mm -hmm. And then there was CentOS that was intended to be more of a gateway or entryway to uh, the Red Hat world mm -hmm. that was intended to be st both stable and uh, solid, but free, mm -hmm. but unsupported, yes. supported by community. So unsupported uh, by Red Hat. And it ran like that for many, many years. And it was uh, it was like that for many, many, many years. So what was that, 15, 16, 17 years or so? Yeah, so until like Red Hat bought them. Until Red Hat uh, bought them because... To be completely honest, they couldn't survive them on their own. Yeah, that's also fair they, to they, say. they had they had a problem because the in order to create the CentOS distribution, you just had to put in the work. Yeah, and uh, since they were recompiling the Red Hat um, uh, sources and then creating another distribution out of it, it just took time, and it wasn't uh, suddenly it became a project that was half commercial. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of commercial companies were expecting that CentOS is going to be there forever mm -hmm. and it is going to be on the market forever so they can just go by by using CentOS. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that this is bad. Me neither. But at the same time, this is one of the things that we need to talk about today mm -hmm. is that this is not bad. But if you go intend to go that, uh, that route, you need to understand that this is going to uh, create problems before you because if you are not... Uh, investing in time and money needed for your distribution that you're going to use, somebody else has to. Mm -hmm. And then you are more or less committed to uh, that somebody else having some control over you mm -hmm. because you are not investing in the, in the, the, the operating system. And yep. this, is, this is, I think, what we need to uh, say 
in order to set the things up. And now let's talk about uh, 2020, start of the pandemic, uh, start of the, a lot of users running from home, um, big changes in the, in the enterprise world uh, using much more, much more and uh, many more uh, Linux machines, scaling up and so on. Yeah, when Red Hat made that announcement that they're going to switch their focus from CentOS to CentOS Stream, what we now call CentOS Stream, uh, they also made a couple of very, very, very weird decisions that are related to the release cycle of CentOS 7 and 8 and the end of life of those products and whatnot. So that was a, a big problem. So uh, please do explain before you continue, do explain the difference between upstream and downstream distributions. This is also important. I think that it's a timeline thing. It's basically where you put things in timeline. When we talk about upstream and downstream, we are used, so used to this uh, Termino expression, terminology, mm -hmm. that we uh, don't think about it. But people should be aware that uh, something being upstream or downstream defines the way that the distribution is being not only compiled, but also crafted. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a bug, the bug reversed, uh, you are going to be aware of the bug usually when the bug is uh, implemented in the code that is being um, compiled in the upstream uh, version of the Linux. In this particular case, it used to be Fedora. Mm -hmm. The Fedora used to be first. Then the stable versions of the packages were, were then transferred to Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And then? And then to CentOS. Downstream, downstream from that was CentOS. Yes, and this meant that uh, the bugs usually were uh, noticed in the Fedora. Uh, corrected in Red Hat. Cor corrected in Red Hat, and then you were pretty much well, well sure that uh, everything is going to work as advertised on CentOS. But at the same time, you got pretty old, uh, pretty old versions of the packages themselves. Yeah, so because it took time. Fedora, Red Hat, CentOS. If you look at that way timeline, time goes from left to right uh, to the right direction. Fedora version of the packages were first bug tracking, whatever. Then they were added to the Red Hat as stable packages, and then people who were working on the CentOS project were recompiling that from source, the stable version of the and package, implementing them and, and implementing them for the distribution and for packages and for... So sometimes it took, it, it actually took years before the package uh, came from Fedora into the CentOS. Yeah, it mostly didn't, but sometimes it took a long time, but the, uh, the upshot of that was quality. Yes, it's, uh, it, and was stability, stability. it was super it, it, it's stable. It was super super stable. You could, yeah, I still, uh, uh, I checked. I have still uh, CentOS five mm -hmm. that is running on a machine that is in sort of kind of production. It's an NGO machine. This is in, uh, in a production uh, being used as a file server and the local internet server that hasn't been touched for I don't know nine years, mm -hmm. and it still runs. It's completely fine. Uh, the reason why I even came to uh, realize that it's still running is because people were asking me to upgrade the system because it is uh, getting slow and they need more disks. <laughs> and this is That's the... actually the story of the old CentOS's and Fedoras. Yes. Exactly what you said. You can copy paste that to all of them because I, di I didn't upgrade them. Although actually that's also a topic for another uh, podcast episode, upgrading Linux to a new version. That's a very, very slippery yes. slope thing. But back then it was possible, actually. It is still possible today, but uh, very you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared that you're going to run into a lot of problems that are uh, almost the same as uh, with Windows. Yeah. So uh, the services themselves have become so complicated that 
the updating of the operating system is not the problem, mm -hmm. but uh, tens of thousands of packages that are required to be updated are a problem. Yeah, there are codependencies, yes, yes, configuration yes, yes, yes. changes, config file changes, library changes, whatnot, yeah. So, first, uh, Red Hat decided that they are going to be uh, turning CentOS into CentOS Stream. CentOS Stream Basically was, to another form of Fedora. Yes, they, said, they said that this is going to just be a small change, but then people realized that the, this change meant that the CentOS is not going to be uh, downstream, downstream from Red Hat, but it is going to be upstream from Red Hat. So basically it's going to be in the same position as Fedora. Yeah. And it's going to receive completely new packages. It is going to be a rolling distribution. And we didn't mention what the rolling distribution uh, is, but basically this is a distribution that is changing all the time and new packages are getting uh, implemented uh, directly into the into distribution itself. And it wasn't supposed to be, uh, in the start, it was supposed to be only one version. So basically it was supposed to be CentOS Eight, nine. Yeah. I, eight, I, think I think it's eight. I think it was nine because uh, was, eight was the last one that was supported in CentOS uh, normal. Okay. So I think that the nine was first one, but I'm not sure on that. I, I, I can be proven wrong. That uh, the, the whole process that you just described, I think, uh, invoked a lot of uh, rational, uh, not and only irrational, discussion and, and, irrational, irrational, and irrational, but discussion. also quite rational, f not only fears but actually backlash from the community because a lot of people, uh, because they realized that they are now going to go to upgrade to something that's upstream, they realized that their systems are probably not going to be as stable as they yes. were. And that's a problem for production. Okay, this is one of the problems. Then Red Hat said that they are going to end of life uh, CentOS 8. Yeah. And this was one of those huge problems yeah because, uh, because that CentOS... one had the release cycle that was shorter than centos 7. so basically i think is centos 7 still supported i think it is in extended support or whatever they call it right now we, i can check go check, on. check so but basically what they said is that if you have installed uh, or upgraded from centos 7 to Cent, uh, centos uh, 8 you are going to be uh, 2024 uh june the 30th uh so 10 going... years 10 years uh support so Basically, right now, or back way then, if you upgraded from CentOS 7 to CentOS 8, you suddenly got your support cut down to three years instead of 10. Not three, two years. Two years and a couple of months. Okay. 2019 to 2021. So basically, and they did that mid-cycle. They did it mid-cycle because they did it basically one year after the release, uh, of the the, release yeah. was done. And a lot of enterprises, to be completely fair, a lot of enterprises are always uh, waiting for a couple of years because be, because the CentOS was supported for 10 years. And the other thing is that they are waiting for, to see if the new distribution is stable. Yeah, SP1 methodology. Yes, this is the one thing. And the other thing is that you need uh, quite some time to be able to, to make sure that all the, the internal applications, everything that you are running in your workflow is running on the new version of the CentOS. And you used to have a lot of time. Yeah. Now, suddenly you didn't have any time. This was the first thing. And the other thing was that suddenly, mid-cycle, you just understood that you are going to be switching. For, you switched from 7 to 8. Suddenly, the uh, CentOS 8 was uh, uh, pulled end of life very quickly. End of life or pulled uh, from, from under your legs. And then you realize that the thing that is going to be um, uh, the next is distribution. So the thing that you should be upgrading to 
is suddenly upstream from the everything that you're used to uh, working with. Which completely changes everything, not only from management and administration perspective, it's about the release cycle perspective as well. But it's also from uh, the risk management perspective. Yeah, yeah, sure. And the biggest problem is that when we are dealing with uh, enterprises, uh, These things, uh, these uh, call-outs about uh, versions uh, 7, 8, 9, they don't care about this. They care about risk management, risk mitigation. They want to know what is going to be the risk, access ma- uh, risk assessment mat- matrix for the given distribution. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everything is out the window. Yeah. And enterprises don't like this. Yeah, and that is the direct reason why Alma Linux and Rocket Linux came to be. Yes. Because uh, uh, some people who used to work for the CentOS... Project and what actually, and actually what, whatever. Uh, established the CentOS project. Okay, titles are less important if you ask me, on, or attributes decided that this is not acceptable and that they want to kind of continue in the vein or in the spirit of CentOS. So basically, what Red Hat did in preparation for the situation that happened a couple of weeks ago was to pull the rug under us with the uh, change of the release cycle. Downstream became upstream. And uh, we, a lot of people started thinking, what the hell should we do? And a lot of them went uh, Debian, Ubuntu, SUSE, whatever. But also a lot of them went, went with Alma and Rocky Linux. It's, it's beyond, it's not a question. That's what happened. And yeah. let me just uh, put a side note there. There is also Oracle Linux. Yeah, yeah. That is also downstream from... Basically, it's downstream from Cento. It used to be downstream from Centos, and then uh, it was suddenly become uh, became downstream from. Uh, Red it was downstream, downstream. Yes, it was downstream, downstream. Uh, to be completely honest, I don't know any company that is running Oracle Linux. I but, do. Uh, Most of them are running Oracle databases. That's why. Yes, you know. Yes, but because they're coming kind of as a package, but it also used to be extremely stable. Yes, they are. And our unbreakable kernel and all of those things very well. They, they introduced some changes to the kernel, so they created they created an actual. Um, if you if you needed it, it was a good distribution to have if you wanted to run Oracle uh, database. I agree. Okay, so basically, then. so after that whole situation, you were left with those three: either Alma Linux or Oracle Linux or Oracle Linux, if you wanted to go downstream. And That's then two ish years uh, went by. Yes, and we and come to a point a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. When Red Hat threw a bombshell uh, on anybody, uh, everybody, and said, "What?" I don't even want to say that. You know, it's very difficult to to understand the reasoning behind this, and especially some of the posts that they posted. This is not personal; just professional opinion. Uh, I'm not going to go into the terminology. About I'm going to. I'm going to. That, that's because, your area. I was. Yeah. I, was, yeah, I, was I was personally. I was personally attacked in uh, in a way, because. Uh, And the adult uh, answer to that is to get personal. As no, well. no, 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 no. But I felt personally attacked, and I need to. I need to make uh, a few points clear because I'm not. I'm not mad at them. Uh, no, I'm disappointed. I, think, I, I think that uh, this is entirely unprofessional. Agreed. And uh, I think that what they did first. Let's within let's, their purview, but still unprofessional. No, I, I think that what they did is completely rationally uh, a capitalist thing to, thing to do. Yeah, but. I think that uh, gain and loss uh, analysis, is, analysis is completely wrong in this case. I agree. Because what they did is they uh, got uh, a short-term gain, if they got a short-term gain. Not sure, support. okay. Uh, they are probably saving a couple of hundreds of dollars, uh, a couple of thousands of dollars uh, on uh, paying people who are maintaining the CentOS packages. 
I think that, that that's it. This is the short-term gain because you are welcome to the cynical world of Yasmin. But I that's think good. that this is the only thing. This is the only thing that I can think about because what they intended to do, their idea was to uh, say, okay, up until now you had access to uh, sources Source code, yeah. of the Red Hat uh, uh, Enterprise Linux packages, so you could create the CentOS. Now we are going to... Alma Linux and Rocky Linux uh, and Oracle Linux, Linux, sorry. Yeah, so, but basically we're going to be able to create a downstream uh, uh, distribution. Now we are not going to release sources anymore. That's not completely true. They're going to re release them to, their, uh, to everybody who is the partner and who is registered with Red Hat. Yeah, subscription. But, but using them in order to create downstream packages is going to be... Um, might uh, result in the uh, in the in the so termination of the contract. So basically, it's going to be considered the uh, which is uh, enterprise talk for we're going to terminate your contract. Yes. So this became a problem, and the way they did it is that they first said they called uh, everybody who was profit profiting, everybody who was, who was creating uh, downstream uh, packages freeloaders. They used the actual terminology. Word, yes, they actually used the word freeloader, and there Grifters? was. Yes. Then I, I heard that somewhere as well. Uh, but yes, but freeloader, and they said that this is normal because inside Red Hat they're using this terminology to, uh, for those people. And this is another thing that is highly unprofessional. Yeah, okay. Uh, and the other thing is that they chose uh, one person, vice president, to, uh, for core platforms, yeah. uh, to, to explain to uh, people what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And suddenly people had more questions than answers. Because the explanation was for the Red Hat, but suddenly people were asking about other products, uh, JBoss, uh, Ansible, and all the other things that are actually could free end right up now. beyond be behind the subscription or yes. paywall or something. Yeah, my actually uh, again, I'm going to let the terminology for you because I, I couldn't care less. Um, my my difference to a lot of people who got very angry irrationally. Uh, my difference between uh, so the difference between those people and me is that I learned a long time ago that those bad bad companies are always going to freaking do whatever benefits them. That's the nature of the beast, and I'm not going to rationalize that, uh, offer pros and cons. I'm just saying that it's that and move on. And you can keep on hammering on that, and I'm going to agree with you on a different level. My problem with what they said and I'm, I'm going to quote now simply rebuilding code without without adding value or changing in any way represents a real threat to open source companies everywhere this is a real threat to the open source and one that has the potential to revert open source back into a hobbyist and hackers only activity i i don't want to even start to uh, to count the ways in which um, uh, mr mcgrath is wrong because uh, basically what he said was the past 30 years of open source haven't worked. Yes. And they are con going to continue not working for us in brackets. Yes. And uh, if we don't change that, because all of us are stupid, obviously, and uh, incompatible to their way of thinking or their rationale, um, are going to, uh, the situation because of that is going to end up again in the hobbyist community, which is where Linux came from. It's just like uh, um, saying that, I don't know, people are not going to eat pancakes because uh, pancakes, pancakes require three minutes of work. That's the level of stupidity here. I know I'm giving a completely off the rails comparison here. For me, using Linux and for millions of people is akin to making a pancake. Very simple thing to do. 
I've been doing it for many years. There are business reasons why we use Linux, not only uh, hobbyist ones. And even mentioning in a structured answer to the community that uh, Linux is going to revert back to being a hobbyist and hackers-only activity is what's called gaslighting. I'm going to go with even harsher thing because um, because there ain't no way it's going to happen. No, no, no. I, th I think I mean statistically speaking, I, I, I can we can predict the future here. We don't need the crystal ball. That's never going to happen to Linux. I think there is a, there is a lot of a lot more going on here because in this particular case, it says that simply rebuilding the code without adding value represents a real threat to open source companies everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay, this has the potential to revert open source back into hobbyist. Okay. But we first, agree that that's never going to happen. Uh, yes, but the the two things that I want to point out is first, who is going to uh, make a distinction between simply rebuilding the code and changing the code? Mm -hmm. How much is how much changes are required to be able to say, okay, I have changed this code, because this is what defines open source. You it can sometimes you can sometimes just change a string because you want to just translate something to your language. You can change a function. You can change the order of the functions. You can uh, create a doc file with the translation of the language. You can create another button in the in the yeah. user interface. Whatever you want to do, and some sometimes you're just going to simply build the code on the, under another uh, platform. So if I want to move the code from um, the Intel uh, x86 to an ARM. I'm just simply rebuilding the code because I'm not changing anything other than things that are required, mm -hmm. but I'm simply rebuilding it. And suddenly this is the one thing. And the other thing is that suddenly it seems that like uh, Red Hat and companies are going to decide and be the big policemen who are going to decide what represents changing wordy. the code. What's worthy? Not only what was, what's worthy, but also what means rebuilding the code. Because this means that you are not able to get the code. You first need to explain what you're going, you're going to do with the code. Then they let you have the code. Then you create something. Then you can rebuild it if they say that this is not a simple rebuild. Mm -hmm. So suddenly yeah. we have controllers inside we the We have source. micromanagement. Not only that, but we are creating controllers, company controllers that are controlling Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And this is in, in complete contrast to everything that has been done up to, up to today. And Red Hat wouldn't exist without the open source methodology ever. And not only this, uh, it wouldn't be possible to create a lot of things because uh, things like Ansible wouldn't fly. Yeah. Ansible is a nice program, but uh, if it came to buying Ansible or using, for example, Puppet or Chef, uh, that would be free because mm -hmm. they are. I don't think that Ansible would be as big as it is today. Okay. Now, uh, now we come to the part of the story where I want to mention one professional gripe that I have with this. Yes. Okay. And this is related to the work that we do. Yes. Okay. In two different ways. So, as we mentioned multiple times in our uh, uh, previous podcast episodes, we work as uh, basically college professors. We teach people, uh, amongst other things, how to use Linux. We have two college courses for that, and we have multiple courses for automation. And we have a virtualization course, which I'm guessing we're going to have to change because Red Hat obsoleted Red Hat Enterprise virtualization as well. But that's a topic for another day. And the second part of our job, at times we do Linux education as a specialist education, as trainers, as Red Hat trainers. I used to do LPI as well and whatnot. I never, um, uh, let's say, added value per definition of uh, Mr. McGrath, never changed it in any way because I'm not a programmer. I mean, 
I know how to program, but I decided I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I educated a couple of thousand people for using Linux, most of which, most of whom are using Red Hat and CentOS. You did may, the same thing, or may, maybe a little bit of a smaller scale, but, a smaller the scale, but yes. the principle still applies. The numbers are the less last, In the last 30 years, we probably introduced, uh, I would call it probably 10 or more generations of uh, pupils uh, and people to the Linux uh, ecosystem. For me, in two years, it's going to be 20 years since I became a trainer. So yes, but in, uh, since we started with Slackware, we were uh, yeah, probably yeah. one of the first guys that were using Linux. So, uh, so we, I used to burn uh, Red Hat distributions and CentOS for our local Linux organization back in the 1990s. Yes, so, 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 so basically... Uh, our the, background is in that. So ba basically, the grassroots uh, support for Linux is That's something it. that we are doing. Uh, on the day-to-day -day basis because we are introducing people to a different way of thinking. And this is the way of thinking that Linux used to have. Yeah, okay. Suddenly, we have a huge elephant in the room yeah. that seems to think differently. Yeah. And, my and the other guy who is thinking, thinking differently is Apple. Yeah. And we all know how much uh, uh, traction uh, macOS has. Uh, it's growing, but at the end of the day, uh, the information that I heard today, yet again, they have 99% customer satisfaction rate. For the last four years? Uh, By the same company provided. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yeah. yes, now, yes. Let's not go there. So going back to what I was saying, my problem with this. So basically what they're saying is because I never contributed code or changed the code in any way, um, I am not adding value. And I am a real threat to open source com companies any anywhere. I'm not personalizing this for personalization reasons. I'm just explaining the principle of what's written in the statement. So I don't care about the statement, actually. And that has the potential to revert. So my work basically has the potential to revert open source back into hobbyists and hackers only activity and yours as well. I cannot even start to describe how many BSs are in that thought process because it's evidently wrong because we uh, every every year we get I know 30 40 50 students that we teach Linux based stuff even more if you if you calculate the computer architecture because there are things there that are Linux related that we can also explain easily by using Linux as a metaphor don't get me started on operating systems which is a mass course as well so those are two courses 200 students plus per year basically at the end of the day, if I was to kind of like go to the attribute route and to the terminology route, both of us are freeloaders for Red Hat. Yes, and the other thing is that... I'm not offended by that. Uh, and the other I thing is that uh, I, I'm also a little bit puzzled by the previous paragraph because it says, finally, I'd like to address every open source company out there, whether your code is open today or you're considering going to the open source model, by any measure, Red has, has made it, and I hope many open source companies can succeed as we have. This has a ring to it like we have won the game and that's it. Mm -hmm. We are no longer now an open we are source going company. To redefine how we works. are not longer a so open source company, we are now a company, and now we demand some sort of uh, a payment back because we made it. So you are not going to be able to make it to be become as we are, because you can decide for yourself whatever downstream rebuilds are available, available for you and it's your call to make it easy or not. Can I make a, a much simpler metaphor to what they're saying there? 
Yes. So the the last metaphor uh, was on purpose, completely stupid. Okay. I did it on purpose. Now I'm going to go with a logical one. So we started the recording of our podcast today. Okay. Yes. And as a preparation for that, I brought you a bottle of water. Okay. Basically, that's just like me bringing you a bottle of water so that you can drink it and then asking something for return. That's okay. That's that is the exact uh, metaphor for what they're saying. Yes, but uh, it's uh, we, we, this is completely fine. Unless we are in the open source world and we have all uh, decided we are going to be a contributor to the open source world. Because this is not normally the open source if world. If this room, <laughs> if our podcast is the open source world in that metaphor, I contributed a bottle of water to yes. that world. And I am not expecting anything in return. Yeah, but but, but uh, when if That's we, my point. If we, if we try to make a point about uh, not, uh, uh, not, con not contributing, the, the, this the, entire podcast doesn't make sense. Because yeah, we are just sure. building the information that we have. Yeah, how stupid we are. Uh, just for context, in Croatia, the water is basically free. You can't, there are many places where you can get it for free. Uh, we do pay for the water in residential bills and whatnot, but you can still go to, let's say, a shopping center or a mall, go to the bathroom and drink as much water okay. as you want to. So okay, but but let's, let's say that it's not a commodity uh, in a sense in which it is all over the world. Okay, but any, any, let's go back to the, back to the open source thing. Uh, I have a large, a large uh, problem with uh, the idea. Let's, let's please stop uh, here. Uh, I see this as it is. It's just a capitalist way of saying we are providing, we are paying for something that nobody's paying us back for. So we had decided Which is to do also wrong. It is, it is sort of kind of true in a co completely capitalistic world that doesn't consider that open source is something that actually succeeded. Yes. Uh, it used to be completely true back way then when IBM did 360 uh, operating systems. So they had uh, their own operating system uh, on their own servers. They said, okay, we are not going to release the operating system because you cannot create the servers. This is proprietary and that's it. But suddenly this becomes something that they're selling as a product. They don't want anybody else to create the product is going to look similar because they are providing the money to create the product. And this is completely fine if you ignore the entire open source world. Yeah, which is the reason why they exist. Raison yes, yes. Without and that world, they do not exist. And it says that uh, we are not under any obligation to make things easier for the builders. This is our call to make. I'm completely fine with this. Yeah, it But is. It, it is also our call to make that we don't like the way this is going because... Or the uh, tone. Or the tone, because suddenly... Uh, when I need to uh, when I need to uh, do a training on some something based on Red Hat, uh, suddenly I will have more questions than answers. Because I oh cannot, yeah, I didn't even consider the, the amount I, of questions uh, that people uh, are going to ask. Uh, I already got asked uh, by a couple of people because they want to understand what is going to happen. They cannot use CentOS uh, that is going to be stable. They need to use a third party solution instead of CentOS. This third party solution is going to be at the whim of IBM. So suddenly Alma Linux or uh, Oracle Linux or Rocky. Uh, Red Rocky or whatever are going to be using some side tools to, I wouldn't call it steal, but uh, get their hands on the source code. From from IBM's Red Hat's perspective, it's going to be in the gray area. Yes, it's sense. going to be, it's really going to be in the gray area because uh, open source has a, uh, 
pretty defined way of getting the score source, distributing the source, and using the source. But people from Alma Linux already said that they're stopping the. Uh, they don't want to guarantee 100% binary compatibility to Red yes. anymore. This is one which thing, is reasonable. But people from Rocky said that they're going to be using the cloud images, this, this, the cloud images, and these cloud images are going to be provided by Red But this is also gray area, mm -hmm. and companies don't like gray areas. Uh, yeah. co companies uh, who de 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 demand training from us don't like being trained on something that may or may not be a, 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 a liability for them. So they're going to just skip over and say, is there Let's any Let's other... wait for, for this to play out, at least yes. that. And this is one thing. And the other thing is that uh, seeing what has happened in the last three years, uh, can you guarantee what is going to happen with Ansible, with JBoss, with uh, OpenShift, with uh, all the other projects? That oh, so you're going has? the Jeff Gearling question. Yes, but because he has uh, vested he the same question he, in the He has a vested interest in, in it because he uh, contributed a lot and wasted a lot of time, contributed a lot of time into uh, providing Ansible books, uh, creating Ansible for books free? for free creating amazing material, uh, did uh, a lot of teaching on, on Ansible. And right now, he doesn't have any idea what the, hist uh, what the future is going to look like. Yeah, that's why he removed, uh, officially said that he is removing support for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And so we we are in the, in the completely strange uh, world in where the Ansible project that is uh, officially done by Red Hat is not supported on the Red Hat Enterprise Linux or doesn't have uh, support by uh, Jeff. And Jeff did a lot of playbooks that are important. Fundamentally used fundamental, all over the world. Yes. yes, I agree. I agree. And all that situation. So do you have anything you want, you want to add to this or are we done with rationally explaining Red Hat why they mocked it up? Uh, I want to kind of close that. I... I think that I'm going to stop here because I think that we gave, that I gave enough uh, of uh, my position here. I just feel like a little bit of betrayal has happened uh, when it comes in the, when it comes to uh, communication between Red Hat as such and trainers and the community that is not the freeloader community that is only copying people, but also the community that is promoting Red Hat. Because suddenly you are trying to, instead of having um, a completely firm idea of what is going to happen next, suddenly you are in a position of trying to reinterpret what is happening and have no idea what the future holds, but you need to hold the line for the redhead. And it looks, looks like a lot like uh, having a basically uh, official committee of the Communist Party uh, <laughs> dictating, <laughs> dictating the current... Uh, viewpoint into the world politics and from my perspective I think that they're going to be getting the new um, presentations ready to say what the current uh, political objective of Red Hat is mm -hmm. or uh, current vision and mission of Red Hat for the particular courses mm -hmm. so suddenly instead of trying to teach people how to use Linux mm -hmm. you are also going to have to take different approaches based on uh, different trainings that we're going to do because to, to put out fires not only to put out the fires but to explain what the current uh, overview of the situation is because the uh, uh for example uh basic training so uh one to five uh, one to one to four uh one three four for the centos uh, for uh, red, red, red hat eight is not the same nine. as uh, training for the nine mm -hmm. we can do both 
depending on who wants to, to learn something. And the information that was valid for the Red Hat 8 is not the same information as the Red Hat 9. And, and both of them could be wrong right now as yes, well. Yes, so suddenly the committee is going to have to... Uh, there, there are uh, actually in those courses, there are some bits and pieces of material about subscription and licensing. And, and about and Red Hat and about the company yeah. and so on. So I, I expect this to become a small manifesto that is going to be uh, distributed before the, before the official... We start to do official round of training, let's say, in the, in the autumn or in the winter because or whatever. The, 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 the official, the official uh, the color of uh, Red Hat is red. Mm -hmm. So little red books are going to be distributed. <laughs> okay, uh, let's end this part of the conversation before we move on to uh, some of the responses. Uh, I, I hate to leave stuff on a negative note. That's me. I'd like to kind of like have... No, no, no. I have a little bit more, uh, more things to add to that story. Uh, I'm hoping... I'm really hoping that this is going to turn up well in some way. I don't know what the, you know, A to B to C to D to E to F to G is over at it. The calculus of that, I don't understand it, nor do I need to know it. Uh, but what I will say for the record, I love doing the training, hence the reason why I've been doing it for 20 years. I love doing the Red Hat Academy programs, which we do in, uh, day in, day out, actually. I had a couple of questions about some of the Red Hat Academy stuff today, which is in the middle of summer, uh, while a lot of people are actually taking vacations. So it's not that... Uh, uh, it's not that we are just, you know, uh, lashing out at stuff because we are under, I don't know, uh, we are not on vacation and drinking uh, piña coladas on the, uh, by, by the seaside. It's actually the fact that uh, these sorts of things that Red Hat does are going to make our work distinctively more difficult. And this uh, makes it, from my perspective, it makes it even more difficult to do because Red Hat training is the best right now in the field. It's not only because of that. That's the whole reason why companies select it a lot of times. That's something that I do know something yes, about. And this, and this is one of my reasons why I initially became a Red Hat trainer versus something else, because they had a structured system, which includes a product, a support for the product, and education for the product. We are not going to uh, talk about education today. We, we already need, did. Uh, but uh, yes, but uh, we are going to uh, be needing to provide a deeper um, talk into the or deeper insight into the how certifications work, because the we thing, kind of covered that in one of the episodes. Yes, but with we, our didn't, we didn't. We didn't. We uh, didn't make too much of a point about what Microsoft is doing or did to its own education program. It's not only that. They actually a lot of people messaged us uh, privately to do a, a couple of episodes related to Microsoft certification and Red Hat and VMware and yes, others. Because, and we will be because doing Red, that. Uh, certification is a big problem. Yeah, people demand knowledge, mm -hmm. but also people want to feel stable. They want to have micro certification, Red Hat certification. And it used to be uh, you had Oracle, you had Microsoft, you had uh, Red Hat, you had VMware. Cisco. Cisco. Well. And that was it. And then you had the others. Mm -hmm. The others weren't specialized or were extremely specialized in the other mm -hmm. hand, or were just like, for example, uh, ECDL. Mm -hmm. They were just general purpose certification that pro uh, proved that you were able to turn on a computer Literate, basically. Yeah. Yes, but uh, these were not certifications that were uh, industry-based. And uh, Red Hat used to be industry-based certification. Right now, industry doesn't know what to do with Red Hat. And this makes our lives extremely difficult when it comes to working. 
Okay. So with that being said, we now come to the part of the story in which we analyze some of the responses, which I okay. find to be super hilarious. Yes. And I'm not talking about people. I'm not the reaction video type, uh, especially for people saying stuff. I'm talking about the uh, the way in which Sousa responded and in which Oracle responded specifically. Not because I, uh, I don't want to talk about Alma and Rocky. Uh, we are talking about companies that are not in the same universe of scale. Okay? Yes. So I, I want to focus on these two because they're much, much bigger and their responses are much more to the point of trying to prove something that's worth something in the open source world, at least now. Yes. And I'm not getting into their reasons why, because, again, history teaches us that companies shouldn't be necessarily trusted or, you know, uh, ev evangelized or something like that because they have a bad track record of breaking a lot of promises. But still, the responses of these two companies made me laugh in a sense, but not in an evil way. Just it was funny. I think that, uh, okay, Susie is, okay, they are uh, something that uh, their distribution and the entire ecosystem community and so uh, that is dedicated to a particular thing that is pretty similar to Fedora, to mm -hmm. be completely honest. Uh, and I don't think that their response is, their response is, as, as you said, uh, interesting and it makes some valid points, mm -hmm. if not all of them. But I think that Oracle's response was much, 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 much more important. Uh, Oracle's response was a punch in the face. Because yes. I didn't think two things. I didn't expect that Oracle is going to uh, create such a, a PR release uh, at Me all. Okay. Because this was way, way, way out of uh, corporate um, uh, image that they are uh, using uh, almost For, always. Yes. Because this is this wasn't a corporate uh, PR. This is an actual statement of uh, position of a company that was created in order to inform not only the companies, but also other people. Mm -hmm. So this is not intended. Usually the Oracle PRs are... Read and uh, about it, enterprise it, customers, blah blah blah, and they're read by nobody, and they're only interesting to uh, select people who are uh, tracking what Oracle is doing. Right now, they just suddenly realize that they are able to provide uh, some sort of insight on the open source, mm -hmm. and they created a PR that was on the point, that made a lot of sense. It was created. Uh, I would call not it, uh, the first day after, so they had time to think about yes, what they were going was, to put it, out. It was pretty assertive. It was. It was pretty assertive for a company. It was not a usual press release that has no, basically, no punch in it. it has, like a robotic. Yes. Yeah. This was this was a human, let's say, PR, and they said uh, a lot of stuff uh, in terms of their reaffirmation to the open source principle and whatever they want to do, which is fine, yes. which we kind of wanted to have as well. But then in the last part of their PR, this is where the st stuff gets really spicy in a sense. Uh, IBM's actions are not in, in your best interest by killing CentOS and, as a Red Hat Enterprise Linux alternative and attacking Alma and Rocky Linux because they're downstream. IBM is eliminating one way your customers save money and make a larger share of their wallet available to you. Fair point. If you don't yet support your product on Oracle Linux, we will be happy to show you how easy that is. Give our customers more choice, which is basically an open uh, business area for them that they could exploit. This is what capitalist yes. company does. 
I have no problem with that. That's what capitalism does. And then it's the one to three punch in the face. Finally, to IBM, here's a big idea to you. You say you don't want to pay all of those Red Hat Enterprise Linux developers. Here's how you can save money. Just pull from us. Become a downstream distributor of Oracle Linux. We will happily take on the burden. And they also, in one other part of their PR, mentioned that they are hiring people so that they should feel free to join their, and the, the company as well. And the other thing is well. that if you read it, if you read it, uh, uh, you read it uh, in detail, uh, there is a point uh, that they're making that, Mike, uh, that uh, Microsoft, that, uh, that IBM is trying to uh, save money on uh, engineers that are uh, doing uh, work on related uh, enterprise Linux source. Mm -hmm. And I think that this can be also in, uh, represented as it seems like IBM is not willing to pay for people to program. Uh, That's exactly uh, what they are exploiting here. And they're what they are basically say, uh, telling is that they are putting a small foot in the door to the idea of that uh, IBM is going to uh, in in the point uh, to come to a point in time when they're going to say that they don't care about Red Hat Enterprise Linux at all because it costs too much money. Mm -hmm. Because to be completely honest, CentOS has much 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 bigger market share. Yeah, and this is this is what what is bothering uh, IBM in the first place. They wanted to kind of transfer that to Red Hat. They wanted to do it when they uh, tried to Switched. kill CentOS. Yeah. yeah, when they killed it didn't it didn't have because uh, if I remember correctly, the market share was something like seventeen percent CentOS, three percent uh, Red Hat Enterprise. Yeah, it was much larger. Uh, so so uh, CentOS was basically uh, a couple, the thing. The thing, and. IBM was hoping that they're going to convert those uh, users into uh, subscriptions. This, this didn't happen. Now they are uh, closing down the pipe of the source code and uh, saying, okay, nobody's going to be able to create their own version of CentOS because they are freeloaders. And uh, what Oracle is saying, okay, next they're going to close down the Red Hat Enterprise Linux, go our way and use Oracle Linux because Oracle Linux is much better. And this is not something that you usually see from the from the companies. Yeah. Uh, the last time I saw this was when uh, back, back, back way then when uh, HP and Gateway were uh, battling it out uh, on the desktop market in the 90s, when they were actually directly targeting each other's uh, machines and uh, saying things about the other company that are not usual in today's corporate world. Yeah. And... For uh, I, I would say that um, having read some other things, um, it seems that this uh, this decision did not come from IBM. It's actually Red Hat internal. If that's true, uh, then I have to say Red Hat as a company, I've kind of supported you, made a life out of using your products and teaching people how to use them for the past quarter of a century. Love you guys, but you lost your way. And you are a freeloader. Okay, because you I'm are happily freeloading of uh, open source work while providing services because you're for my customers. Every, because, because, because you're freeloading every time when you're paying a redhead for the material for the course. You're freeloading every time you're paying for the books. Come on, come you're on. you're freeloading every time when you're uh, paying for your certificates. Come on, uh, and and this chill down, dude. And this is this is the thing because what we are doing is not only we are doing it because you want to, but it also costs money. There, there is an actual cost involved for us. Mm -hmm. So be aware of paying for something, and then suddenly this somebody uh, is st steering the uh, pond in such a way that nobody knows the, what the next thing is going to be. And I don't like this. I don't like this because uh, it, uh, 
the uncertainty of it is really not assuring. I think that the biggest problem that we have uh, with the Red Hat is that uh, suddenly people are talking about what is the end game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't when you know... start questioning yourself that, it's probably in the enterprise world time to get out of the game. Yes, because the, the game the shouldn't be the shouldn't have the ending. Correct. And when you're talking about what the uh, IBM's end game or uh, Red Hat's end game is, this means that somebody is planning for an exit. Mm-hmm. Somebody is planning to exactly. finish something and then uh, get get out of the market. And then when this uh, kind of fad exists, uh, suddenly you are going to end up with much more than you are hoping for. And to kind of wrap this up, because we rented for the past hour, I have a question for you and I'm going to answer it as well. Where do we go from here? I'm not talking about education. I'm talking about our other stuff that we do for our clients. Which distributions are we going to use for our future deployments? Is it still going to be sent to us or Red Hat or Scientific or uh, Rocky or Alma or something else? Because I have a very firm opinion about that. I think that uh, suddenly for general purpose uh, education on the for Linux, uh, I suddenly think that either Debian or Ubuntu is going to be the way forward. I think Debian, not uh, Ubuntu. Uh, I, either Debian or Ubuntu. I'm saying this because for, uh, let, let's, let's call it uh, low-level uh, Linux uh, education, the first steps in Linux and so on, it doesn't make uh, a difference. So forget about uh, De- education. De- De- Debian is Debian is better than. Yeah. For enterprise use, probably Debian. Yeah. Because Debian has proved to be stable. Uh, I don't have a problem with Debian. Uh, it is going to require a lot, uh, much, much, uh, uh, a lot of work to uh, move to Debian because the documentation is not as good as uh, Red Hat was. Okay. But it's going to be uh, be done. So probably Debian. For education, as I said, probably Debian or uh, Ubuntu, because Ubuntu is the one that has the most exposure and the most users. And for the real interesting stuff, I honestly don't know. I don't know. Where will I uh, try to explain to uh, to people how, uh, I don't know, virtualization works, how Dockers work, how uh, different other technologies work? I'm not completely sure. Okay. For me, Debian, uh, for all of the above. Uh, and to kind of hammer that point home, because I actually have some of the uh, some of the uh, let's say inside knowledge of the some of the processes that are happening right now. We do have clients asking us about this, and I have at least one very big course scheduled for. It's actually for the time being, it's in two parts. It might become in four parts as well. Uh, customers are openly asking about this, and they uh, one one of our bigger bigger clients wants to do education on Debian. I know that this is going to happen, and I think that. This and I'm not thrilled about that. Uh, so that we are clear. I think that the biggest uh, loss is going to be for the customers themselves. Because the fragmentation that we are now now seeing in the Android world. Is going to happen. Android is a good topic there yes. as well because they're kind of like uh, leaving the marks after the, after them that they are going closed source as well, uh, very this, openly. This is one thing, and the other thing is that the the fragmentation of the uh, uh, released or the current production, uh, uh, the operating system, the current in production, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be that 
either you had Debian, you had Ubuntu, or you had Red Hat, mm-hmm. CentOS. When you wanted to learn something, you were usually, if you were uh, adamant to do it, you would uh, do the Red Hat uh, courses because the Red Hat certification was the best and is the best. Still is. Uh, and so, it's going to um, still be the best for the foreseeable future. No, no questions about it. But but my, but, my, but actually, but when you come to think about it, if somebody is pinching pennies about uh, distribution of the code, I'm I am seeing uh, signs that suddenly the distribution of the documentation and everything else could become a problem, because if people are not interested, the documentation is only available with subscription for years now. Uh, yes, but suddenly... Or the vast majority of it. Okay, yes, but you can uh, register as a developer. That this is this is fine. Uh, currently. Yeah, fine, within, currently. Within for free. our understanding of open source, that's not what, what uh, it and, should and, be. And the other problem is that you can understand, you can uh, register as a uh, developer and have free uh, licenses, free subscriptions for um, uh, for using uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux for 16 installations. Yeah, the number to, that you saw, 200-something, was wrong. If you do it today. Yeah. What is going to happen tomorrow? By the way, I have no problems with them asking for subscription for access to the know-how. That's completely fine. Yes, but if they are pinching pennies, I mean documentation stuff. Like if that. they are pinching pennies, uh, suddenly people are not going to be uh, registering. Mm-hmm. Only the people who are interested in documentation are going to be registering, and I think the thing that the number of people reading documentation is going to uh, fall down. And then suddenly somebody is going to say, okay, do we need so many people providing the documentation? Mm-hmm. And there is going to be a, become a vicious cycle where people... A rolling are, update. Uh, the rolling update is going to become a problem. It's, it's actually started because they are still in the uh, in the process of... Uh, how should I put this delicately? Of removing a lot of employees from the company. And the other thing is... Uh, let, let me just make an example. Uh, you install Fedora. Mm-hmm. Or uh, CentOS Stream. You have a problem. You uh, put a, you call Ghostbusters. No, 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 no. You just put in the uh, bug report into the publicly open uh, bug uh, bug reporter database. Whatever this is, this is you uh, you create a ticket, you create a bug uh, report, and say, okay, this is not working. And then Red Hat says, okay, we are not going to finish. Uh, we are not going to uh, be working on this in Fedora or CentOS Stream because we are not interested interested in it. You need to pay for the license uh, to and see. And you can see the answer on Red Hat. You can see the red, uh, answer, and the answer is going to be uh, done in the Red Hat Enterprise Linux next version. S- this is going to happen. And this is okay. something that right. is scaring a lot of people. Agreed. And Agreed. this is this is completely going uh, getting out of what open source should be. Oh, I agree with that, definitely. And, and it used to be very easily available ISOs for the, docu- for the distribution, for the sources. You can download the ISO files of the old versions for, with SRPMs. I, I know. I burned a lot of them for a lot of the, the people uh, when we were still doing the conferences here and whatnot. It's a fundamental shift. And uh, professionally, I I am super annoyed by that. Uh, and I'm going to make a not so fine a point of uh, trying to wrap things up Please do. By, by trying to say one more thing. And this thing is, answer me one question. Uh, if we are uh, dealing with uh, and talking about enterprises, mm-hmm. imagine that you are a small team that is com- that is uh, in a few years you are growing from I don't know three employees to a hundred employees. You deploy your servers using CentOS. 
you want your people to be uh, trained in uh, Red Hat or CentOS. Red Hat is the closest possible certification, so you're going to train them and so on. Uh, do you see the point in switching to anything else other than Red Hat when the time comes that you need actually need hundreds of servers? And do you see that you are actually, do you feel that you are giving something or paying for something uh, to Red Hat? Or do you think that your company is going to suddenly switch to something else when they gain the, uh, the company knowledge, company-wide knowledge of a certain technology? The first thing that always comes to mind when you say Linux is free. But Linux is free. Mm -hmm. But you're paying for the knowledge, you're paying for certification, you're going to pay for the licenses because uh, you're going to be needing them. When you What reach, happens if I don't want to do that? But even if you don't want to do that, uh, you are going to suddenly, when you come to a point where, you, uh, where your uh, corporation is large enough, you are going to be needing those. Uh, those. Uh, Maybe I'll just switch to cloud and let them do the, the hard work. And then you're mm -hmm. going to, uh, then you're going to uh, uh, realize that your cloud is... Too expensive? Too expensive or more expensive than just uh, training your own people. Okay. And you are going to, in the end, you are going to provide some sort of funds to IBM. Mm -hmm. Because you are being pushed down that route and some licenses are going to get paid. Okay. Uh, so I think that this doesn't even make sense from the freeloader perspective. Mm -hmm. Because if you are training people to use uh, CentOS, they're going to be using CentOS, then they're going to try to install Yeah, Red conversion of that to Red Hat in, in uh, small, medium enterprises is going to be something. In larger enterprises, it's going to be much bigger. And they definitely get benefit out of that. I agree. So I don't think that this this that this even makes uh, business sense. Me neither. I think it's it's a bad stain on their, on their reputation, which is the worst risk that you can do on a corporate level outside of uh, imploding a company for some kind of a whatever technical or banking or money reason. The, you, you're basically what you're trying to say is that uh, the only thing that is worse than this is Twitter. <laughs> not in so many words and not my <laughs> metaphor, but yes. Okay. Okay. So let's wrap, wrap this thing up. Uh, what we are trying to say is that we are not impressed by what Red Hat did. Nope. We are not impressed by what Red Hat is doing. Nope. And we have absolutely not, no, no idea what Red Hat is going to do. Nope. So this is, this is the takeaway from this uh, short The session. most pointless episode ever. No, this short session and uh, short an hour and ten minutes. And if I if I uh, remember correctly, uh, what's it going great for psychiatrists these days? Uh, I don't know, but uh, this is what it is for us. Yes, but what I'm trying to say is that uh, on the course for the uh, teachers, uh, they taught us that uh, every session has to have its own takeaways, and. Mm -hmm. We don't have many. <laughs> yeah, the takeaway right now, sorry to say that out loud, but it is so. We are not sure whether or not we can trust Red Hat for the purpose that we are discussing today. I wouldn't call it trust. Uh, I would call, uh, I would be pretty... Business trust. No, 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 not only this. Uh, trust requires that you uh, uh, promise something then it becomes a problem, it doesn't become a problem, you uh, stick to your word and you don't stick to your word and so on. Right now, it's not that I cannot trust uh, Red Hat. Okay. It's just, I have no idea what is going to happen. The, but uh, what do you need to know? That's, we keep on coming back to this question. Because people who are paying for the 
people who are coming to our courses want to plan ahead. Oh, I agree with and that. And people who are trying to plan ahead try, uh, try to understand what is going to happen next, mm -hmm. not what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. And seeing what Red Hat has done in the last three years, would you say that they are planning ahead? I'm not exactly sure. They have to have some kind of an end game, the, the term that you mentioned earlier. Uh, so Otherwise, have, it's chaos, and that makes no sense. So either they are creating chaos, mm -hmm. or they have an end game. Yeah. And do you wish to stick with the guys uh, who are having an end game in the uh, in the business? I'll have to stick stick around so that I can see what's going to happen in the end, because whatever happens is going to be a popcorn moment. Okay. Okay. So... That's it. Uh, thank you for being with us. This was the IT sh that IT show uh, episode, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Yasmin. I'm Vedran. And see you next time. Bye.